Good morning. Morning. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm going to do uh, today's reading. Uh, it's from Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter six. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For He says, "In the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you." I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad reports and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making, making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can, can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. I'm going to pray now for Andy as he comes to speak to us as a church. Dear God and Jesus, thank you for, for your word today. Thank you that this letter is addressed to us as much as it was addressed to the Corinthians 2,000 years ago. Thank you for your word and thank you for, for Andy. Dear God and Jesus, please bless him with wisdom as he speaks to us and bless us with understanding as we listen to him. Amen. Thanks, Dragosh. Morning, everyone. Well, um, I'm afraid I'm going to cheat just a little bit today because, uh, as, uh, as Becky said, as a church, we're currently reading our way through 2 Corinthians, uh, one chapter each day, uh, in our own personal readings, uh, in our small groups, and, and here on Sundays. So today, if we follow the plan, <laughs> we should be looking at uh, 2 Corinthians 6, which uh, Dragosh just read to us. The thing is... The verses that I want us to concentrate on this morning are right there 
at the very start of the chapter. And are perhaps some of the most urgent verses in the whole of the New Testament. Thing is, though, they follow directly on from the end of chapter 5. So we're actually going to be looking in more detail today at the the passage 2 Corinthians 5, 17 across to uh, 6, verse 2. I hope you'll forgive me for for going off plan. Uh, If not, then you'll need to take it up with Stephen Langton, the 13th century Archbishop of Canterbury. He was the man responsible for dividing the New Testament into the the chapters and verses that that we use for reference today. So let me read that complete passage of the Bible to you now, to put it all into context. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 starts, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then heading into that uh, chapter 6. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And if you've uh, been following us with us on uh, WhatsApp and, and doing the daily uh, Bible readings there, then uh, you'll have heard yesterday uh, Jisoo gave uh, a great introduction to, to these verses. So uh, you can go back and listen to that on WhatsApp and uh, he'll tell you the bits that I missed probably that <laughs> I go through now. So in this passage... Paul is reminding the church at Corinth, and us as well, of the message that he's been tasked with spreading around the world. A message that the Corinthian church were also playing their part in sharing with their own community. A message that Christians today, us here in Thornhill, continue to be commissioned to share with the people that we meet. Let's take a closer look at that message and what it means to us here this morning. So first we see that it's a message of reconciliation. Now, words like reconciled and reconciliation are some of those Bible words that are bandied about in churches and religious books, but I guess they aren't often used in everyday life. They're the kind of words that that make you sound really intellectual if you happen to drop them casually into a conversation. Along the same kind of lines as uh, paraphastical, monometallism, or epigrammatical. You might not know exactly what it means, but it'll knock the socks off the person that you say it to. And those three words that I just said are actual words. I'm not going to tell you what they mean. You'll have to look them up yourself uh, when you get home. But what do the words 
reconciled or reconciliation mean? Well, the dictionary definition that I found for the word reconcile is this. Reconcile, verb transitive, to make friendly again, to adjust or settle, to harmonize. To make friendly again. Reconciliation is about the bringing together of people or things, healing rifts, bridging gaps, removing obstacles, or to restore things to how they should be. But this definition also helps us to realize, doesn't it, that if something is going to be reconciled, then there must have been a break or a rift in the first place. Something must have happened that would have caused this loss of friendship or caused the broken relationship in need for the reconciliation. Of course, at the moment, there's one area of everyday life that uh, we hear this word reconciliation an awful lot. Because whenever we hear on the news of problems between workers and their employees, uh, particularly with the strikes taking place across uh, many areas of our country this time, we hear about the organisation called ACAS, the Advisory Conciliation and Arbitration Service. Now, this is an organisation whose website states, when things go wrong, we help to resolve workplace disputes between employers and employees. ACAS are in the business of reconciling broken business relationships. And their remit is to come be between the two parties who are at odds with each other, often because of pay or working conditions, and they try to reconcile the differences. They make friendly again. They settle arguments. They harmonize the two parties. But ACAS aren't called in when everything is rosy and working smoothly. ACAS are often a last resort, when it appears that there's no other way to resolve the differences. And at that stage, ACAS work to, to bridge the differences, remove the obstacles preventing the parties from coming together. So perhaps that helps us with our, our understanding of reconciliation. It's where there's a broken relationship between two parties and there's a need for someone or something to come and rebuild that relationship, to deal with the problem or the obstacle and allow the two groups to come together once more. But the message or ministry of reconciliation that Paul's discussing in our passage isn't about reconciliation between employers and employees. It's about reconciling with God, our reconciliation with God. And that raises a huge question. Why do we need to be reconciled to God. We've already seen that for a reconciliation to take place, there must first have been a breaking down of the relationship. Something must have come between the two parties in order for them to need to be reconciled. Now, if you were with us for, for some of our Sunday morning services last autumn, as we read through the book of uh, Romans, you'll have heard how our relationship with God was broken the moment 
that we as a human race began to break God's rules. And you'll have heard about how our lives are now a constant battle as we try to do good things. But no matter how hard we try, our best attempts often end up in failure. And that's exactly why we need to be reconciled. Because we're so good at doing things bad. The long and short of it is that we're simply not worthy to be in God's presence. Just take a look at some of these verses on the screen now. The Bible is full of verses like these that remind us of the perfection and the holiness of God. Because God is so holy, he's unable to let our wrongdoing, what the Bible calls our sin, he's unable to let it go unpunished. Not because he hates us, not because he's being nasty, but because he is a good God. As a people, we're often, aren't we, quick to complain when our human judges uh, give out what seems to us like lenient sentences, or when known criminals are are released because of, of technicalities or loopholes in the law. We quite rightly like to know that justice is being done in our society. And that's exactly why God must punish us for the things that we do that break his laws. If God did not judge, there would be no justice. If God did not care, then we would have no one to cry out to. But hallelujah, our God is a good God, a holy God. And the Bible tells us that he will judge the living and the dead. Each one of us will stand before our creator God and have to explain to him why we've turned our back on him. And because God is holy and is perfect, he can't just let us off with a gentle pat on the back and say, well, don't do it again. We won't be able to bribe him to let us off. He is a God of justice who must punish sin in all of its forms. And the truth is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible's crystal clear on this. There's not one of us good enough to be in God's presence. We all fall short. Which means that instead of being able to spend eternity with God in heaven, we have to spend eternity outside God's presence, an eternal punishment. When I was a child, probably around junior school age, I went away on a Sunday school camp And the person telling us the Bible stories during the week showed us a picture that that illustrates exactly this point. And that picture's stayed with me ever since. So I I want to share it with you now. Perhaps it'll stick with you too. I'm sure many of you will have seen this before. And it's basically this. Just a picture of two mountains, either side of an enormous chasm. We sang about it just earlier. 
On one side is God, holy and perfect. And on the other side is us, the human race. We're over here longing to be on God's side, longing to get our relationship with God put right. But separating the two of us is this gigantic chasm which represents the sin in our lives that splits us off from God. There's no way through it. There's no way around it. And that is why we need to be reconciled to God. That's the message of reconciliation that Paul is wanting to share with everyone he meets. Our sin, our wrongdoing is a huge obstacle between us and God. And until that obstacle is removed, God can have nothing to do with us. If God is at work in your life right now, he may have already convinced you of this. Maybe you've had a nagging feeling in your heart for some time that, that you're missing something vitally important. Maybe this feeling of not being good enough has played on your mind for a while. It could all be God calling you to be reconciled to him. But it all looks pretty bleak at the moment. If we finished here and headed on our way home, we'd probably go away with the impression that this message of reconciliation is all just doom and gloom. Don't leave yet. That was just the bad news. We've only just started getting to the good news. We've seen that Paul has a message of reconciliation, but he also brings a message of renewal. I wonder if you're an avid watcher of the Wimbledon tennis tournament each year. I'm not, not a huge fan, but I will watch some of the games when, when British players are taking part, so uh, I haven't watched that many very recently. But uh, if this year, if somehow, somehow I managed to arrange for myself to play at Wimbledon, it wouldn't be a pretty sight. <laughs> I'd be a laughing stock even as I walked out onto centre court and started to warm up. Because the only thing I'd be any good at at Wimbledon is eating strawberries, and uh, that's hardly a spectator sport, is it? Uh, the plain and simple truth is, I am not good enough to win a Wimbledon winner's trophy. I haven't trained. I haven't practiced. I haven't lived the professional tennis player's life. I'm just not good enough. I don't deserve to win it. And as we've just seen, the same is true for a place in heaven. I haven't trained and practiced for heaven by, by living a holy life down here. I'm just not good enough. I don't deserve a place in heaven. I haven't earned a place in heaven. All of my good deeds and charity and being my best won't help me across that chasm separating us and God. Now, the only way I'm ever likely to get hold of a Wimbledon winner's trophy is if a Wimbledon winner gives one to me. Someone who has done the training, 
someone who has practiced all of their life, someone who was good enough to earn it. They do all the hard work. They go through all the pain just so that they can give me the trophy. It looked great on my windowsill, but it's unlikely to happen. But that's also the only way that I'm ever going to get a place in heaven. If someone who does deserve to spend eternity in heaven gives me a place, someone who has lived all of their life in perfect holiness, someone who was good enough to earn it, that person does all the hard work. That person goes through all the pain so that they can give me eternal life in God's presence. Jesus Christ is the only man to have ever walked the earth who lived a life acceptable to God's perfect standards. God's own son came to earth and lived a life that was without blame, without any wrongdoing. He's the only one who has earned a place in heaven, in God's presence, because he, like his father, is perfectly holy. Our God is a holy, just God who demands justice. He demands that our sin must be punished. And Jesus, who was without sin, took on our sin, took the punishment for our sin so that we might be reconciled to God. We just read it in chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the only one perfect enough to be able to live in heaven in God's presence. But his death on the cross and his coming back to life has made it possible for those of us who believe in him to place their sin on Christ's shoulders so that the punishment that we deserve is taken from us. And the verses that we read in 2 Corinthians describe what happens to us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Jesus takes the punishment and we receive a new, fresh start. Lives that in God's eyes are holy and acceptable to him. Lives that are good enough for heaven. Going back to that picture earlier of this symbol of our separation from God, this, this huge chasm formed by the sin in our lives, there is no way around it, no way through it. We can't fill that gap ourselves. But the wonderful addition to this picture is the bridge formed by Jesus dying for us on the cross. The arms of the cross reach between both mountains and form a bridge. Jesus' sacrifice for us has bridged that gap between us and God and made it possible that we would, could be in God's presence, reconciled to God through Christ. Lives renewed, hearts renewed, spirits renewed. A brand new purpose 
a brand new focus, a brand new love, brand new priorities. That, that old way of life, trapped in sin, heading for death and judgment, is gone. And a new way of life is ours. A life of freedom. A life of abundance. A life of eternity with God. And that is, quite literally, the good news. It is possible for us to be reconciled to God, to be renewed, not because of anything that we can do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. It's a gift from God. But that's not quite the end of the story. Because the final point that Paul makes in this passage of the Bible takes us into 2 Corinthians 6. And it's simply this question. Message received. We've seen it recently with the national strikes. For reconciliation to take place, both sides have to want to be reconciled. If either side decides not to accept the settlement offer on the table, then the reconciliation will break down and the relationship between the parties remains broken. Both sides have to want to be reconciled. Well, I hope it's become very obvious to every one of us here today that God wants us to be reconciled to him more than anything. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. It's not the kind of reconciliation offer that we're used to hearing about, is it? What kind of a judge takes the punishment for the prisoner? What kind of bank pays off all of its customers' debts? God, through Jesus, has performed all of the reconciliation needed. He's put this offer on the table for us, an offer eternally more generous than we deserve. And now he waits for us to accept it. What a great God we have. He wants us to be reconciled to him. And then he wants us to go out and tell everyone about it so that they might become reconciled to him too. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. But do we want to be reconciled to him? Are we going to turn our back on his offer, his final offer, and leave our relationship with him in tatters? Will we choose to ignore all the warnings in the Bible that there's no other way to heaven except through Jesus? Each of us has that decision to make for ourselves. No one can make the decision for you. God won't force his gift on you. Do we want to accept God's gift and have reconciliation with God? Or will we insult God by telling him, in effect, that we don't want to accept the sacrifice of his son? 
you haven't made that decision yet, how God would love for you to accept that gift here and now today, just by praying quietly to him, asking him to forgive your sin, telling him thank you for the gift of Jesus. It's really that simple. But sometimes we want to make sure that we fully understand the agreement on offer. We feel a need to check the fine print, and that's okay too. God's word to us in the Bible, right from Genesis through to Revelation, explains it all. Why we need to be reconciled, how we can be reconciled, and what we need to do to be reconciled to God. Read it through for yourself. Pray that God would show you clearly what it means to you personally. Speak to to math or or a Christian you know and and ask your questions. Perhaps come along to an Alpha course to to have a chance to to ask your questions and and, and tell others what what you think, where your uh, mind's heading at the time. But please, please don't put it off. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 warns us, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Don't think that God will will leave his offer on the table indefinitely. A day is coming when it will be too late. A relative of mine passed away in her sleep just a couple of weeks ago, just one month short of her 103rd birthday. Well, 102 is quite an innings, isn't it? God graciously gave her 102 years of life to choose whether to accept the reconciliation of her relationship with God. Yet sadly, we so often hear of people leaving this world far too young, reaching nowhere near a hundred. Because the truth is, we simply don't know how long we do have here on this earth. It might still be years. It might still be decades. But it might not. I said at the start that these verses at the beginning of chapter 6 are perhaps some of the most urgent verses in the New Testament That reconciliation with God that is ours through Jesus is available to each of us right now. But, but, a day will come at the end of each of our lives when if we haven't already asked Jesus to bridge that gap between us and God, then it will be too late. Instead of facing God as people, who've been renewed and restored by Jesus' death and resurrection, we'll have to face God as people who aren't good enough, aren't holy enough to be in his presence. And for those of us who are already Christians, then let's not lose that sense of urgency ourselves. As Paul wrote, when we become reconciled to God, We ourselves become Christ's ambassadors, spreading his message of reconciliation 
Let's continue that work and keep on praying urgently for our family and our friends and our work colleagues that they would receive God's grace before it becomes too late for them. Let's keep sharing that message of reconciliation that's been entrusted to us. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Amen. I'll invite uh, the band up, but uh, let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you that, that despite that, that huge chasm between us, you long to reconcile us to you. Thank you for reminding us today through our communion, through our uh, Bible passage, through our worship, <laughs> that we can't do it ourselves. There's nothing that we can do uh, to fill that gap, to bridge that gap between a sinful people and a holy God. It's only through Jesus that we can be reconciled and renewed. Lord, we want to thank you once more for Jesus, for everything that he did for us, for the, the pain that he went through on the cross as he took on our sin and our shame and made us new creations. Lord, I just pray that every one of us here would come to accept that reconciliation offer that Jesus brings, that every single one of us here would be able to cross that bridge, that chasm, because of the cross of Jesus and spend eternity in your presence. Lord, we look forward uh, to singing many songs of worship to you when we get to heaven. Lord, thank you. Amen. Amen. Amen.